Good evening. You know, it's said that you don't really know who a person is or what's inside of them until they're pressed, until they're under pressure. And if that's the case, I think we get the clearest glimpse of who God in the flesh is by the first words that come out of him when he's hanging on the cross. How does God act when he's under pressure? How does God act when he's rejected by his own people, when he's betrayed by those that are closest to him, when he's wrongly accused by those that are in power, or when he's tortured by foreign mercenaries? Well, we find out in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. We find that the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth very simply is, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing right now. They have no idea what it is that they're doing. You see, when you, when you squeeze God, what comes out of him is forgiveness. When you put him in the vice grip of humanity's worst, what comes out of him is, is forgiveness. And when we slap his face with contempt, I think forgiveness incarnate turns the other cheek. When we thrust our sin into the side of his body, outflow blood and water and forgiveness. And the reason why that is is because at the very core of who Jesus is and at the very core of God in Jesus, friends, he's a God who forgives. That's the essence of who he is. That's his nature. That's his being. That's, that's his character. Everything that Jesus does is consistent with who the Father is. This is why Jesus can ask God to forgive us because he knows who the Father is and he knows that the Father will forgive. And Jesus takes that straight out of Psalm 103 beginning in verse 8 when Jesus actually makes his appeal to the Father based out of the character that God reveals in Psalm 103 where he says, the Lord is compassionate and he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those of us who fear him. Think about that. And as far as the east is from the west, you can't measure that. It's infinite. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Friends, this is good news tonight. And I implore you on this Good Friday evening, friends, receive the forgiveness of God. In fact, can we do that right now? It's so simple. All we have to do very simply is open up our hands and say, Father, I receive your forgiveness. We just do that right now. Just take a moment and think about all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt that stacks up against you and hold your hands out and say, God, would you forgive me? of my sin. As Jesus is hanging there, he's hanging there innocently, but you know on both sides of him there are men that actually deserve to be there. 
And there is one man that comes to this realization and he goes, man, I deserve to be here, but in fact, you're the son of God. You're an innocent man. You don't deserve to be here. And this criminal, this thief, this guilty man who's eavesdropping on what Jesus is saying from the cross has the audacity. He has the nerve to actually take Jesus at his word. And he asks the most scandalous thing that a guilty man can ask Jesus in that moment. He says, Jesus, would you pardon me? In other words, Jesus, when, when you enter into your kingdom today, would you, would you remember me? And friends, I want you to hear the word of the Lord from Jesus' second statement from the cross found here in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. When Jesus says to this man, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, this is the gospel, if not the, if not the entire story of God, which is very simply, God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He longs to be with you. In fact, I would say that the entire story of God from creation in the garden to the tabernacle of Moses, to the temple of David, to the incarnation of the Son of God, to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to the very final words that Jesus says in Revelation 21, it's all pointing to this moment right here. I want to be with you. I desire intimacy with you. I desire fellowship with you. This is all about union with God and reunion with God. Friends, I'm here to announce tonight that in the same way that Jesus spoke this, over that man hanging next to him who deserved to be there, I want you to know the good news. Truly, today, you will be with me in paradise because we serve a God who desires to be with us. Let us stand, let's sing. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. What love? What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all knowing, He counts not their son thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is
You may be seated. The great throng of witnesses that was the seat squeal. Jesus' third statement from the cross, the utterance. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple... Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. John 19. Here Jesus is forming a new community. From now on, John is to assume the responsibility of caring for Mary. And Mary must assume the responsibility of humbling herself, allowing herself to be cared for, by one who is not her son. This community is new because previously, Mary related directly to Jesus as mother, and John directly to Jesus as disciple and as friend. And now, based on their common bond to Jesus, they're relating directly one to another. It's as if Jesus is saying, there is no relating to me without relating to one another, which is ironic because Jesus himself was not even received by his own people. He was rejected over and over again. John 1 says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But Jesus ensures that though it happened to him, his mother would not be rejected. It would not happen to her. This way of living hinges on our willingness to humble ourselves and our willingness to assume responsibility for each other. Contrast this depth of care and responsibility with that of Pilate, who just hours before had used his power and his authority not to free Jesus or even fight for some semblance of justice but to wash his hands of any responsibility for Jesus and place it on the backs of the people. While Jesus, the truly faultless one, makes no accusations and places no blame, he simply assumes responsibility for their sin and even their eventual redemption. Paul writes of it like this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians. And Jesus still today invites us into this kind of community to live mutually submitted to one another in interdependence, not serving our own interests, but looking to serve those around us. Take note again of how striking this moment actually is. Mary is at the foot of the cross, consumed with grief, agonizing over the death of her son, hanging right before her. And Jesus, moments before his last breath, 
is not just consumed with the seismic work of conquering sin and death as if that were not enough. He's also thinking about the well-being of his mother when he dies. How will she be cared for in her old age? He shows us that for his life and work to spread as good news to the people around us, we must be willing to embrace new ways of relating that go deeper than bloodlines. We must be willing to care for those who are not our own as if they were because they are his own. Unlike Jesus, we are not called to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, only to care for the people around us. Jesus experienced rejection by his people and also from Rome, but on the cross he experiences abandonment and forsakenness by his Father. From his mouth flows the prayer of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the fourth of Jesus' utterances on the cross. What are we to make of this moment, this prayer, this cry? For more than 2,000 years, the church has wrestled with the depth of these words. How far does Jesus feel this reality? Is it a reality or is it a sensation? Is it Jesus' experience? The church has wrestled, but what we must say tonight is that Jesus fully lived the human experience. As one theologian said, down to the dregs. He suffered rejection by man and the apparent absence of God in a crucial moment. And thank God for us, because everything that Jesus experienced has been redeemed for our sake. It has been said that God only allowed Jesus to experience what he means for you and for me to experience differently. Because Jesus experienced abandonment, the Apostle Paul can say that though we are persecuted, we are never abandoned. That because Jesus was crushed, we can be pressed but not crushed. And because Jesus was struck, we can be struck down and yet not destroyed. Friends, there is no suffering too great or small to be seen, attended to, and cared for by God. He knows what it is to feel abandoned in life and in death. And because Jesus suffered the fullness of those things, a way has been made for you and for me to make it through when we share those same experiences. Pain, heartache, and struggle cannot be avoided. Mary's son still dies, and she will grow old, unable to provide for herself, relying on the care of another who is not her son. Her griefs and her pains are real, just as your pains and your griefs are real. But what Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said is absolutely true, that only a suffering God can actually help us. And thank God, one of the ways he does is by giving us one another. Let us not forsake one another, 
in our times of greatest need. Amen. Oh, the perfect Son of God in all His innocence You're walking in the dirt with you and me He knows what living is He's acquainted with our grief A man of sorrow, son of suffering Blood and tears How can there's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering.
Would you place your hand on someone's shoulder? We're going to pray in here. Parents, put your hand on your kids lovingly. If you're in an aisle by yourself, just stretch out your hand. Lord, you are the God who suffered for us. You are the one who took our sin on the cross. And Lord, we praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm Pastor Joe from New Life Manitou Springs. I want to share with you one of the words of utterance that Jesus says. We're coming to a close pretty soon here. The lights are getting darker. Jesus will say, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he'll breathe his last. Before that, he says simply, I am thirsty. Let me read for you that scripture. John 19, 28, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And then a scene, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. This plant, hyssop, it smells flowery, green tea, It's used in the Old Testament again and again and again with sacrifice, used to to clean. It's used in the Old Testament to, to dip into water or blood and then sprinkle it on the temple, on the altar, on a house to make it clean, even onto the people. Think about that. Think about this image of the cross and hyssop being used. David, the psalmist, in Psalm 51. Do you know this psalm? It's one of the uh, very popular psalms where David has messed up. He's sinned royally. He writes this psalm to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And in that psalm, about halfway, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Do you know the very first time that hyssop is used in the Bible? It's in the Passover, the book of Exodus. It's what Jason alluded to, this meal that happened yesterday in the, in the church calendar leading to Good Friday and to Easter Thursday. Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. And it's that Passover meal in the book of Exodus where God gives instructions. He says, for your household, I want you to kill a lamb and take some hyssop, dip it into the blood of the lamb, and then take that blood and smear it on the door frames and on the sides of the door frames of your house. And then the Lord your God will pass over. He will see that blood and know that that household is covered by the blood of the lamb. I'm not making a theological point here about hyssop and Jesus on the cross. What I'm doing is making an observation. The author John wants us to see that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, his suffering is for our sins. Whatever sin you might have in your mind right now, whatever sin, whatever thing you've done in your life, that sin is on the cross and it is covered. We're gonna sing a song. It's called, Worthy is the Lamb. And I want you to think, I want you to sing this song to the Lord 
that he is the worthy lamb. He is the one that has been sacrificed, suffered for our sins. Would you stand with me? Thank you for the cross, Lord.